Welcome to the Learning Unlocked podcast, presented by Open Sesame. Taking a deep dive into the global world of learning and development with practical tips and tricks, along with insights from leading brands and the people that make them work. This is Learning Unlocked. Now, here's your host, Brian Berger. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Berger, and we are here at Open Sesame's 10th anniversary party, and I'm here with the founders of Open Sesame. I'm gonna let them introduce themselves and we're gonna have a, a conversation about the company and 10 years of Open Sesame. So Aaron, let's start with you. Why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks, Brian. I'm Aaron Bridges. I'm the Chief Technology Officer and one of the co-founders at Open Sesame. I'm Josh Blank. I'm President and Chief Product Officer and also a co-founder at Open Sesame. Hi, and I'm Don Spear, the uh, Chief Executive Officer, but I like to think about it more as the Chief Encouragement Officer, and I'm also one of the co-founders. Hi, I'm Tom Turnbull, also one of the co-founders, and I'm VP of Business and Legal Affairs. All right, Josh, I'm going to start with you. How do you four know each other? Well, that's a, a, a great story. Um, so I started a company right out of college that did websites and e-commerce sites for a variety of different companies. And at that business, um, we hired Aaron Bridges right out of uh, Lewis and Clark college. He got his undergrad degree and came to work for us. And we were working on a project for a local company who was trying to um, bring a more tech-focused angle to their business. And so they hired us to build some prototypes, uh, online stores. And as part of that process, the president of that company was looking for someone to run this business and grow it. And, um, introduced me to Don as somebody who might be able to do that. And that's how we met originally. And then after growing that business for several years, I decided it was time to uh, do something different. And I really liked working with Don on this project. And I knew I wasn't going to go get an MBA and, and Don's kind of like a walking MBA. So um, he's a great mentor. And when I decided to to leave this e-commerce um, consultancy, I I went to work with Don to start a company called Bluevolt, which was a website and online learning platform aimed at people in the blue collar industries. We started with continuing education for electricians and then expanded beyond that. And through that business, uh, we came to know Tom through a variety of other uh, companies. And so when we, when we decided to start Open Sesame, we asked Tom to, to kind of take a look at, do some market analysis and determine whether this business made sense. And after, after doing that work with us, he thought not only did it make sense, he wanted to join us to help get it started. So that's how, that's how we all met, I think. I'm sure there's some more angles to the story, but that's the, the quick, quick version. Don here on the Learning Unlock podcast. We're always interested in founder stories. So Josh just talked about how you all know each other. Why don't you tell the founder story of Open Sesame? So you know each other. How does Open Sesame come to be? When was the aha moment? Great. Well, uh, as Josh said, uh, that we were working on Bluevolt, a learning management system. We'd been in the kind of e-learning space for a while, which was very new. And uh, one day Josh walked in and and he showed like around 2009, he said, oh, look, I got this first iPhone. And the uh, the iPhone at that time, of course, it sounds crazy, but it was one of the first 
platforms to have a app store on it. And so he showed me how you could hold the phone, look at the app and download the app right there on your hand. And we had had Palm Pilots before that. And uh, those were really the very first uh, mobile smartphones. But if you wanted an application on a, on a Palm Pilot, you had to get in your car, drive to CompUSA, which of course doesn't exist anymore, buy a box of software, bring it back, load it onto your, onto your uh, desktop, cradle your Palm, and then move it over. Well, we didn't mind doing that because we were a little geeky, but to think that you could actually get something right on, on, the, um, on the phone was pretty, pretty interesting. And then I instantly thought, well, gosh, there's a lot of these different types of uh, software things that are being developed, uh, like music started to come, you know, directly over the internet. I know for many people think, well, what, isn't it always that way? Well, no. When I was growing up, we had to buy records at the record store, CDs, uh, and of course, uh, iTunes had come out. And then we looked at uh, movies. We used to have to get those on DVDs, but Netflix came out. Uh, I remember that year we had bought all of our kids uh, Kindles for, for uh, Hanukkah. And books, they don't have to go to the library anymore. It just comes over the internet. And so as we were thinking about all the different things that had been developed physically and then a marketplace once they were digitized, we thought, wow, well, where are the, uh, where's the marketplace for online training? Like where can someone go in one location and find all types of different courses, whether it's the continuing education courses that we were building for Blue Vault or maybe a forklift driving course. And we had been hearing from our customers at Blue Vault, though they wanted lots of different kind of generic things, uh, customer success, uh, supervisory skills. And we thought, oh, well, there must be someone building this. And we uh, had a summer intern. We said, okay, go find the marketplace that has all this training, and then we'll plug it into our learning management system so that our customers will be able to get it instantly and we won't have to gather it up and look for it. Well, he went out and looked and uh, found about five or six different sites that claimed that they did that, but many of them weren't very good. They didn't have SCORM compliant courses or they only worked in one LMS. I mean, essentially there was no central location for people to build and sell uh, online training. And so uh, we thought, well, gosh, this is, uh, you know, we understand how to do that. We had just built a learning management system. So, uh, we took three people, Josh and Aaron, and another guy named Jason Day, who worked at Blue Vault, who was a software developer. We said, okay, well, we're going to do a little skunk works. So you guys go down in the basement of the uh, Portland State Business Accelerator, and you work on this uh, little idea and build a minimally viable product. And so at the beginning, we called it uh, the Blue Vault e-learning marketplace, or ELM for short. And uh, they went down there and built uh, the product that we could, you know, try out, get some publishers, get some, some different customers. And that was the, uh, the beginning of uh, Open Sesame is the Blue Vault e-learning marketplace. And then after we won the Oregon Business Plan competition in 2011, we thought, okay, well, this is a pretty big business opportunity. And we looked at the market size and Tom can talk a little bit about how he came and helped us uh, figure out how big the market was. And we decided that we're going to spin it out and make it a separate company and uh, really serve a broad cross-section of companies. Let me ask you, so you're one of the founders of PetSmart. When you're an entrepreneur and you're examining these types of opportunities, do you have a checklist of, I need these five things to be aligned in order to start the company? Hmm. Well, I'm not sure it's, it's in a checklist and there are probably books written about that. But I think generally speaking, when people look at markets and they find 
a disruptive ways of, of uh, entering it, which is really how PetSmart started uh, disrupting the, the, the long distribution channel and the expensive prices, but also in Open Sesame, the disruption really came in having uh, the simplicity and the convenience of everything in one place and also the quality that you get when you have many providers in one location. So I would say checklists are the standard ones that most investors look for is, does it have an existing large uh, available market? Are there many people doing it, right? So at, uh, at PetSmart, when we started that in the late 80s, half the households had a dog. And so you say, okay, well, at least half the families have a dog. And you said, and, uh, and you say, okay, they have a dog and, and they're buying food today or other types of things in these small, maybe not so convenient mom and pop shops. So, you know, could you provide an opportunity to make it more convenient for them to buy things and probably have a better quality, uh, and then also ultimately value. So those are the three things that I look for. I wouldn't say it's the, you know, the final checklist, but you know, can you make this offering more convenient? And that was our goal. Is, as I said earlier, a Palm Pilot was very inconvenient to get something onto your Palm Pilot, right? But it's super easy, a couple clicks, maybe three nowadays, and you have any app you want on your phone. So in our mind, like, okay, we want to make it simple, convenient for our customers to get their content that they need. And then, of course, what's the quality of the content and can we improve that? Because when people start uh, trying something, they've, you know, they've got to like it. It's got to be better than what they're doing today or what, what dog food they're, they're, you're serving their pet today. And then finally, after they measure that quality, well, what's the value? What did I have to pay for that? Is that super expensive? And, I, and I, you know, it's not worth the thing that I, that I just tried or is it really valuable? So to me, those are the three things that I look for generally. Convenience, quality, and value. More of Learning Unlocked is coming up after this. Diversity, equity, and inclusion continues to be a top priority for businesses everywhere. Open Sesame has created a survey that will give you insight into where your organization stands on diversity. Aside from being educational, this survey is a powerful tool to help you understand areas of improvement and spark conversations about strategies for creating a more inclusive and equitable workplace. After you take the short survey, you'll get access to Open Sesame's DEI Toolkit, an online hub where you can find additional resources. Visit opensesame.com today to start your survey. Back to Learning Unlocked. Here's Brian Berger. So Aaron, I'm going to go to you. Uh, 10 years, lots of technological advances over the 10 years. What are some of the biggest things that have changed from day one to now? That's a really good question. There's a lot going through my mind on that one. I think that the, the, the thing that's changed the most is just the rapid evolution of software development along with cloud computing. So when I started, a huge part of my job, of every job that I had, was um, being on call and responding to incidents or emergencies, server outages, internet outages, hard drives dying, things failing in ways that you have no idea. So mm -hmm. I, you know, put my jacket on, drive to the colocation facility, badge in, open a cabinet, pull a cart over there, plug it in, and get to work trying to figure out what's going on? What's wrong? So, so unless you work for Google or Amazon or somebody who's actually doing cloud computing um, or providing those services, you don't have to do those types of things anymore. 
if there's a problem, you spin up another server or uh, Amazon handles that for you. So that's a huge change um, just in the amount of time that it takes to keep things up and running. And then I would say the second thing is really just the quality of the people and tools that's developed over the past 10 years or the past 20 years since I started. And I like to joke with the new associate engineers, some of whom are coming out of code school. Some of them are coming out of a four-year you know, technical degree in computer science. And, and I say, hey, you today are more productive than I was after 10, 12, simply by virtue of the quality of the tools that you can bring to bear on the problems that, uh, that we're all um, solving together. So, so the, those two things together really have changed the way that the industry works. They changed developed software. They changed the way that we learn. And um, it, there's just so much more leverage and, and capability of the individual um, to, to, to deliver great things than, than there was back then. Tom, every business has its challenges. And in the early days, you've got bumps, you got to pivot and you got to, you have the growing pains. What were some of those challenges in the early days? And were there ever days where you were like, I wonder if we're going to actually be able to pull this off? Well, actually, some of the early days are some of the days that I look back most fondly mm -hmm. in terms of the Open Sesame journey. Um, Don mentioned the office that we had in a business accelerator in a small room in the basement. And I remember some of the early calls reaching out to content uh, publishers and LMS uh, partners, um, doing Google searches, reaching out. But the room I was sitting in was in the back of this little office with the HVAC equipment in there. And I would start a call and I would always be a little bit nervous about, is that machine going to turn on and interrupt my call? And do I need to run out in the hall with my cell phone to continue the call? But I, I look back on, you know, early challenges like that as, as, uh, as really part of the adventure. Um, some of the early days we'd travel and go to industry conferences so we could learn more about the industry and make connections in the industry. And we weren't well-funded. We didn't have a lot of customers. So we would do anything we could to make it as inexpensive as possible. We'd stay in a hotel and uh, several of us would share a room and get a blow-up mattress and put it in the corner and, and uh, you know, uh, save costs that way so we could get out and meet as many people as possible and, and start to make those industry connections. I think more to, the, to answering your question, I think some of our early assumptions about how people would buy and how they wanted to buy ended up being a little bit different than where we've ended up. We listened to the market very, very closely. We listened to learning and development professionals to understand how they want to buy. Um, so for example, we created a subscription product to make it incredibly simple and incredibly easy for a large organization, really an organization of any size, to very, very simply buy content and build a learning program around that. Whereas in the early days, we um, started with more of an a la carte model where we were selling individual courses. So what I think we're really good at as a company and as a team is listening to prospects and listening to customers and not getting stuck in our own assumptions and adopting from that and building products and services that really meet the market needs. So we've done a lot of iteration over the decade that we've been in business. Um, and that's again, part of the journey. What's the best way to listen to customers? Talk to them, pick up the phone. We are, okay, here's what our SVP of sales says, pick up the phone and good things happen. And that's exactly the way to do it. You know, talk to people directly and ask them what's working, what isn't working. How could we improve things? 
the danger is if you're in a vacuum at your company and only talking to each other, you have to be very, very externally focused. And it's a simple old practice, but pick up the phone, talk to customers, and they will tell you what they want and you can learn from that. Josh, back to you. Sometimes they say that doing business with friends isn't easy and that mixing business and friendship, not always the best idea. You guys are friends and you're in business together. You've done this for 10 years. When you have a disagreement or you need to have a hard conversation, how do you do that? I think that's, that's a great question. We started off first as, as colleagues and we, we got to know each other through business and then became friends, which I think is a big difference actually. And I think one of the things that's, that's really important is to learn how to have conflicts and how to work through those conflicts. Um, as Don, Don says all the time, if we, if we all agree with each other, we don't need all of us. And so I think we've done a lot of work over the years. We have an external management coach that works with us individually and as a leadership team. So we, we put in the hard work and the practice to make sure that we can function as a, as a highly effective leadership team. And it's not easy and it's frustrating sometimes, but at the end of the day, we've built up a lot of trust with each other and we know, we know our strengths and our weaknesses and we can lean on each other. And, and I think we come up with better decisions because of that, but it doesn't, doesn't come naturally. You have to put the work in to make that happen. Whether you start out as friends or start out as colleagues, um, it's really about like learning the fundamentals of, of working together and, and, and teamwork. More of Learning Unlocked is coming up after this. Open Sesame helps companies develop the world's most productive and admired workforces. How? By having the most comprehensive catalog of e-learning courses from the world's top publishers, publishers like TED and Harvard. And having courses that cover learning topics like diversity, equity, and inclusion, leadership development, safety and compliance, and wellness. Try a course for free today by visiting opensesame.com backslash course of the week. Back to Learning Unlocked. Here's Brian Berger. Dawn, is there a meeting, a dinner, a story of the last 10 years with the four of you where you were like, this was a pivotal moment in our history and in our growth? I can't think of any one particular meeting. I think more about our general meeting cadence and process, because even though we've been, uh, you know, growing and excited for the past 10 years, pretty much every time we, uh, finish a big deal or we get another financing, I feel like, okay, now we're starting again. Like we're just getting started. And so I, I don't think about there was, I mean, there are plenty of times when we thought, okay, if this doesn't work, you know, we've taken a big leap. And like for, when we talked about switching to subscription, like if that hadn't worked, uh, then we wouldn't have gotten the next growth phase. But I, I don't think there was a particular time or, or, or dinner. I think it's more about our culture is saying, all right, where do we want to be uh, in three years and five years? That's something you can reasonably look out to and get your head around and get people excited about, and then how are we going to get there? But uh, our goal here is to build the world's leading provider. 
So this isn't something that's going to be done in three years and we're going to exit or five years. This really is a company built to last. That's how I think about it. I think that's how the rest of the founders think about it. And uh, so we're excited to, uh, to do that work. But uh, there's also another saying, you can't get to where you're going doing what you did to get to where you are. So that's one thing that we constantly talk about to all of our coworkers is, all right, well, what, what should we be doing differently? If we're going to go from one size to the next, I mean, this year we start the year with about 200 people and our plan is to get to 300 people uh, by the end of the year. So how are we going to make sure that we onboard all of them, especially in this, uh, you know, still COVID era? And it's not just us that is figuring these things out. Uh, it's really the entire team, right? The rest of the leadership team, the managers, all the different coworkers. So we, we may have started it, but the real growth and strength of the organization is the fact that we're inclusive of people's ideas and their suggestions. And now we're at a size that we can actually attract people that have been from at bigger companies that have already been doing three or four times the revenue or the processes we are. And they come uh, with a lot of experience that we can then, uh, you know, help our entire business move to the next level. So it's never uh, a pivotal point. It's uh, constantly improving as we go. So let me ask you a follow-up to that. A lot of people who listen to this, they're executives or they're employees. If you're an employee and you're trying to communicate a good idea to your leader, to your boss, what's the best way to do that? Well, I I think the best way to do that is to, uh, first of all, have a good open communication with your boss, right? That's that's probably a major thing. And it's easy to say, but not necessarily easy to do, depending on the type of boss and what role people have in. But as I've looked through my different uh, career changes and the people and bosses I've worked for, the ones that I've been able to convince uh, are the ones where I come and say, wow, here's where we are today. This is what we're doing. And what if we did this little test or pilot and I expect it to be able to do 3x what we're doing or take three, uh, 30% less, basically put it into a format where you're, you're showing them uh, without any proof yet, with a small test, we'll be able to make some improvements and really get their buy-in for a little bit of the, of the idea. And, uh, and then own that, own that result, own the process, basically volunteer to make sure that you're going to make it work. Now, what normally happens is that that direction may be the right one, but the way you thought about it or the way it turns out isn't the way to get there. And so you have to also be comfortable with, and your boss has to be comfortable with, that we may have to figure some of this out in flight. And, and uh, so I think part of it, again, is the communication, and part of it is to, is to own the recommendation and the result of the test that you want to do. Aaron, I'm going to go to you again. We were talking earlier about timing in life and sometimes you have great ideas and there's great businesses, but it's not the right time. This seems to be the right time for this business. Who knew two years ago, a pandemic was going to come along and it was going to accelerate e-learning. How has the business changed in the last two years with the pandemic and the acceleration of people not being able to come together in person? and do trainings and, and have meetings? Great question. And, and this is, we're a company ourselves, so we function in a lot of, li- a lot of ways like many of our, our customers do. So we were feeling the change right along with everyone else. Um, and I think that that was a, a, a key part of our response was that 
we knew that we had to deal with these problems and we, th- we put ourselves in our customers' shoes. We thought about what it is that they would need in order to be successful during, um, you know, during a lot of uncertainty. And we had, I think, a really great series of responses to, to what happened, starting with giving away a free trial of our product and then um, getting our publishers to produce content that went kind of along with the different phases of the pandemic, starting with how to wash your hands and, and stay safe in the office and ending with how do you get back to the office? How do you de-escalate the situations that might be coming up um, as a result of, uh, of all of this change? So I think us, the fact that our company had to deal with all the same things that, that everyone else was, 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 really, uh, was really key to that. And yeah, I mean, there, there are plenty of uh, fully remote companies out there, but it takes a lot of work to get there. And over the past couple of years, we have kind of gone up and down about, are we going to be fully remote? Is this going to end? And due to this and, and I think other, some other factors, mainly around the, the size of the workforce in Portland, where we, most of us got our, got our start, going fully remote has, has been a huge challenge, but it's also, it's also presented opportunities in terms of really diversifying our staff geographically and and in all of the other ways that make us stronger as a as a company um, we wouldn't have been able to do that uh, if we hadn't uh, hadn't kind of changed the way we thought about the the location and while that wasn't a hundred percent related to the pandemic it it definitely put it at the forefront and and, and forced us to reevaluate how we were doing many things just just like a lot of other companies Tom we've had a lot of e-learning experts on this show over the last year. What's the future of e-learning, in your opinion? That is a very large topic, and there's a lot of different ways to talk about that. But one of the simplest um, things to think about, which is actually one of the most interesting things to think about, is just the modalities of e-learning. So e-learning has evolved. I mean, if you go all the way back and think about it as distance learning, right, corresponded school, all the way to modern course development and think ahead, with some of the new tools coming online around virtual reality um, and, and other really new uh, interesting technologies that will become embedded in an everyday part of training programs. So the modalities are going to be really interesting to look at. So we need to think about as a company how we can support publishers that are developing new formats for content on other platforms. And then another really interesting topic to think about is um, how the courses are delivered in terms of how they are um, suggested to learners. So uh, a lot of what we do today is working with learning and development executives to help them develop a learning program, right? But there's there's so many more things that we're talking about where we can help people develop career plans or think about how to switch careers um, or do things that are um, out of the realm of what they've done historically. So there's a ton of work um, that we can do to do really interesting things um, to help companies further develop their employees in, in more um, rich ways than, than simply delivering courses tied to perhaps a competency map. So there's a lot of things that we could do there, but this should be uh, you know a multiple series podcast with us because we 
this is a big part of what we do as a team, right? We sit around and think about where is this industry going and how can we best support it? So uh, as Don likes to say, we're just getting started. There's so many things we can do and develop and that is super exciting. All right, so we're gonna wrap with this because I know there's the Open Sesame 10th anniversary party that I have to let you guys get to. I can't keep you here all night. I'm gonna go down the row. I'll start with you, Tom. Yeah. 10 years of Open Sesame. In one word, describe the ride so far. One word, team. Can I give a little color around that? Sure, go okay. ahead. What? It's not really one word, but you know. Uh, I, I know, but I, I'm changing <laughs> the question. I, I like to do that sometimes. No, but uh, team is, is my word. And what keeps me here is that I am learning from this team. And the more we work together, the more we know each other and the, and the more effective we become. Um, and that is literally what keeps me here is this team. Don? I would say care. I think the strongest you know, thread of our fabric, our culture is care. We care about our customers deeply. We care about our publishers who produce the content. We care about our learning management system partners that help us go to market. And we care deeply about our people. Uh, what, is, what is their role? How are they growing? And, and when you care about them, they care about everything, the business, the customers. And so I think to me, that's the, the one that, that stands out the most, care. Josh? Well, I would say energized uh, because of the team and how much people care. Aaron? Well, Don took mine, which was care. That's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll say growth. Um, and I think that going from a company of five people to 20 people is one stage. I mean, that's massive. Then to 75, that's another stage. And the wave of people just keeps getting bigger every single time. And that growth, you see it in everyone's eyes from the leadership team who I've known for you know, 10 years on the whole to uh, the, the interns and the new employees who, who come every day. And that, uh, that, that attitude of, of growth is, uh, is, is really what, what I guess keeps me energized and, uh, and, and going. Tom, Don, Josh, Aaron, thank you for joining me on the Learning Unlocked podcast. Congratulations on 10 years. Great. Thank you. Look forward to seeing in another 10. In another 10, we're going to do this on the Open Sesame private jet. We don't need a private jet. By then, it'll be jets by Uber. Okay. You know, you'll just be able to get what you want when you want, right? All right. That's where everything's going. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to Learning Unlocked, presented by Open Sesame. Download this and every episode on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Learning Unlocked is produced by Griggs Productions.